Thank you, team. Well, good morning, 11 a.m. Good morning to our Facebook viewers, our Facebook family. Uh, they're setting up some chairs for me. While they do that, uh, I want to thank everyone that participated in uh, uh, my birthday surprise and giving toward that uh, in 52 years. Uh, well, in 28 years, Denise and I have been married. She has never been able to surprise me because somebody always lets it slip or I find out, but I was totally taken off guard. They surprised me. And so if you were involved with giving toward that, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, honestly, I, I was completely humbled uh, when I found out those that gave and it, it, humbled by your generosity. Thank you. Uh, well, welcome to week three of Isle of Misfits. Yesterday, we did our last parade, Christmas parade of the season. And those that were involved are thanking God it was the last parade of the season. And although our float might not have won any awards, we won the hearts of the people <laughs> with our dancing or with Bob's dancing. Uh, what you saw Bob do earlier, that was just a little bit of what you saw him do dressed in, I don't even know how to describe his outfit. It, it, it was insane, but thank you. But when we pulled up to where the judges were and the people were listening, I love the description that they gave about our church. This is the float of Watts Bar Church of Decatur, Tennessee. This float lines up with their Christmas series theme, the Isle of Misfits, which is what you'll find at Watts Bar Church. <laughs> no perfect people, just people that love God, love people, and serve others. They are a church for people that have given up on church. Come on. Yeah. I would add to that description this. We are a church also for people that think God or the church has given up on them. We're that church. We're that church. Uh, I, I, I was at the gym this past week, and uh, I, mean, I was inviting someone to next week's service because they were well, I'm, I'm busy. I said, listen, if you can only come to one, come to the 22nd. And I'm going to tell you, don't miss the opportunity to invite people and get them here next Sunday because our music, it, we're going to blow it out of the water. I mean, it's going to be loud in your face, Christmas songs, but Christmas songs like you've never heard them. And, and I hear the speaker next week, and the message he's got is going to be incredible. Incredible. And I, all I know is just what I've heard. Uh, but don't forget about it. I was telling her, I said, I said well, let me give you some idea. that Our series this year is called The Isle of Misfits. And she responded with this. Aren't we all misfits? And that's the truth. Aren't we all misfits? So today, I want to speak to the person that knows what it's like to walk into the back of a room and walk into an event and you say, I'm just going to sit back here so nobody will notice me. I want to speak to the person that's ever felt like or has not went to a party, not went to an event, not went to a place because you thought, I just don't fit in with those people. I'm not good enough. 
I don't wear the right clothes. I don't talk the right way, say the right things. So I'm just going to go, and, or if I do, I'm just going to sit over here where nobody will notice me. I'm talking to you. Because if I'm honest, I'm that person. I know what it's like to not fit the mold. You say, come, come on, Kelly. Have you ever walked into a pastor's convention and being the only one there at this Church of God pastor's convention uh, with a sleeve of tattoos? And the other people wondering, is he even saved, much less a pastor? No, I know what it's like. Growing up, I knew what it's like to not fit in, to, to push the envelope. I'm one of those people, and that's exactly what this series has been about. I'll of misfits. We are misfits. You look at those three main characters, Rudolph, uh, Cornelius, Hermie, all of them misfits. That's why Rudolph and Hermie ended up running away from home. I don't fit in. I'm, I'm going to leave. That's why Cornelius is out living by himself, because he just didn't fit in. So if that's, if that's you, if you've ever felt that way, if you feel that way today, I am so stinking glad you're here, because today is for you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have one, don't worry, I'm going to put it up on the screen. And I'm just going to tell you, this is not a scripture you normally hear for a Christmas message. Stay with me, because I believe God wants to speak to us today. Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook, became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. I want to jump back to verse 2, because that's where I really want us to weigh in. And there's three words that get mentioned in verse 2 that I want us to look at. Let's look at that verse. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, the angel rolled back the stone and did what? What did he do? Sat on it. Sat on it. Sat on what? The stone. The stone. Here's one thing I love about the Bible. The Bible just tells it like it is. It doesn't feel like it's got to exaggerate the story, puff it up to make it bigger than what it really is. Come on, have you ever talked to a fisherman? Fish was here, but the time you get back is here. You ever talked to my Uncle Ted? Come on. Um, but, but it doesn't do that. It just lays it out there. And, and it says, Matthew says, the angel came down, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. Now, if I'm writing this story, here's how I'm writing it, Trevor. The angel came down, and this angel was ripped. He was carrying a fiery sword, and he was standing there with this come-get-some look on his face. And all the soldiers pooped their pants. That's the way I'm writing the story. But it says, hey, angel came down, rolled a stone away. Sat on it. The angel does not say one single word. Do you know what that tells me, church? This angel was not a woman. 
Come on now. Some, that's true. Some of you are thinking that's true. That's true. My wife said that's true. Uh, sat on it. Rolls the stone away and just sits on it. Here's my question. How do you choose where you're going to sit when you go somewhere? How did you pick your seat when you came here today? Were you strategic? Come on. Were you like, I'm just going to sit in the back. That way, if I need to make a quick exit, I can. I'm going to sit on the end. That way, I can just get up and go to the bathroom if I need to. I'm going to see where so-and-so's sitting. Then I'm going to sit on the other side. Were you strategic? Or did you just come down in here and plop down and sit down? I'm strategic when I'm sitting somewhere. I want to know. I plan it out. If I go to the movies, I don't want to be all the way up front. I don't want to be all the way in the back. There's a great place. And if you can find that in the middle and then in the middle of the screen, oh, that's the, that's the, that's the great place. I'm strategic. If I go alone, and yes, I'm one of those crazy people that goes to movies by themselves, uh, well, I want some space in between me and whoever's going to sit. Come on, if I go with a friend, if you're not my brother or really good friend, and it's us two guys, I'd, I'd like a little room between us two. Come on, anybody relate? If I go with my family, I'm very strategic where I sit. It, because I know who's going to talk throughout the whole movie. And, and when it gets to an important part that happens, they're going to lean over and say, Whoa, what just happened, what just happened? And, I, and that's why I tell Denise, you sit down there on the other end. Come on, how many husbands can relate? So I'm very strategic. When, in fact, I'm going to tell on me and Denise a little bit because I know y'all think we're these super spiritual people, and that's simply not true at all. But, so, but one time we were, we were youth pastors several years ago, and uh, we were, had our youth down at this event, and uh, we'd been there all week. They'd work, the kids would work during the day and then would go to service at night. Well, this certain night, it was youth night. And when I heard who was speaking at this youth night, I was not excited about who was speaking. I'm like, for a youth night? Are you serious? And so I knew what, kind of what they talked about. And I was like, no. So me and Denise came up with this. Okay, maybe it's more me. Uh, let's sit strategically where if they go into this certain area they're known to talk about, we can slide out without causing a distraction. And we've got 20 kids. And luckily, we made the right call and sat strategically. Because it was like, come on, have anybody ever done this? Okay, I'm going to get up. Me and you, in two minutes, send four more. <laughs> come on in. And we, because we're strategic. Why are we that way? Here's why. Because it matters where we sit. It matters where you sit. And because I'm one of those people that think everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason, I believe that it, the reason it put, uh, there, there's a reason that it said the angel came down, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. I believe there's a reason for that. I believe what this verse says to us is this. It matters where you sit. But if I'm being honest, I'm not just talking about where you plant your tail. I'm asking this question. If you're taking notes, where does your soul sit? Where does your soul sit? 
Oh, what, what do you mean soul? Well, the soul is the mind, will, and emotion. That's what your soul is. Where does your soul, your mind, your will, emotions, where does it sit? And when I look through the Bible, it's interesting that the, all the places that it talks about people sitting. Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives. Jonah 4, Jonah sat under a tree. Genesis 31, Rachel talks about Rachel sitting down. John 6, Jesus had the people sit down so he could feed them. Exodus 2, Pharaoh sits down by a well. 2 Samuel says David sat before the Lord. 1 Chronicles 17, David sat before the Lord. Isaiah 6, 1, Revelation 4, 2. Revelation 3 21, Revelation 4 9, Chronicles 18 18, Psalms 11 4, Hebrews 8 1. All of those are, are few that just say God's seated on the throne. I could go on and on. But here's now, now listen, just because it says someone sat down, every place is not significant. Sometimes it just means they sat down. But when it gives you a location, I think it's important that you search out what is the significance of the location that they're telling me they're sitting. Matthew says, hey, there was a violent earthquake. Angel of the Lord came down, uh, going to the tomb. He rolled the stone back, and he sat on it, sat up on it. I want to show you another place in the Bible where it talks about a man of God that sits down. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Give you some backstory before we jump into scripture. Uh, Prophet Elijah ha has uh, is getting ready to face off with 450 prophets of Baal. Basically, they're having a god off. Say, like, oh, you think your god's a real god? I know mine is. I tell you what, let's build an altar. You build your altar. We'll both pray. Whichever god fire comes down from heaven consumes it. Well, we'll know who the real god is. And deal, deal. So he says, Baal prophets, you go first. You have at it. The Baal prophets, 450 of them, they, the Bible talks about them spending the entire day shouting to their God, crying out to their God, even cutting themselves. And here's one of the things I love about Elijah. Elijah begins to taunt them. Shout a little louder. Maybe your God's on vacation. Shout a little louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. It's in the Bible. I'm telling you. Look, some of you think the Bible's boring. Look at it. And he begins to taunt them. And then he finds this, God, are you done trying to drown this? Because uh, most of you cut yourself so much, uh, you've got hardly any blood left. Are you done? My, my go? Okay. Then what he does, he tears down that altar that they had built to their false god. He says, let's rebuild it. They rebuild it with rocks, with wood, the sacrifice. But then on top of that, he says, now take those four large water basins. Go fill them completely up with water. Bring them back. Pour it all over the sacrifice. Not just once, not just twice, three. Do it. What you need to understand is they were going on their 30, three and a half year drought. No water. Water was a valuable commodity. And here these people are watching this man of God waste water. Just pour it out. Why would Elijah seemingly just waste water? I think there's a couple reasons why he did it. One, I, I think he was saying, when you see my God send fire down and, and, and catch us, 
You'll know no man did it because only God can burn something up that's drowning in water. You'll know it's God. The second reason I believe he did it was because he said, oh, what you need to understand is the God that created the water, he's able to open the heavens again and supply even more. So all I'm going to do is obey God. And when I obey God, that's all I'm responsible for. And, and then God is, is responsible for the rest. So what they thought was waste, God, Elijah said, oh, no, no, no. My God can supply even more than this. I know, I know you think there's not a lot, but you haven't seen my God's supply source. I think he was doing it for a couple of reasons. And then, after all that, Elijah sits down. I don't know if he sits down. He prays. 63-word prayer. 63 words. That's it. Praise that prayer. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar, everything, rocks, wood, the, the, everything consumes it all. And then pretty much chaos ensues because the 450 prophets of Baal take off running for their lives while these other people are chasing after them. And, and Elijah's like, no, no, let one of them live. Well, then, uh, then you've got King Ahab, the bad guy, who go, goes back home and tells his wife, uh, uh, Jezebel, anybody heard of her? What just went down, Jezebel then sends uh, Elijah a text. Literally, it's the Bible, the text in the Bible. Anyway, sends him a text saying this, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets. In other words, I'm, kill, I'm, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. And that's where we pick up our story. Elijah's had this great victory. He's been threatened by this woman. And 1 Kings 19, starting with verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. What did he do? Come on, church. What did he do? Sat down under it and prayed that he would die. Prayed that he would die. After that great victory, Elijah's suicidal now. After that great victory. This, see, what you need to understand, this is not a picture of, uh, of Elijah's physically sitting down this is a picture of his soul sitting down he's depressed his mind his will his emotions sitting down saying god i've had enough i want to tap out i'm done i'm tired i'm frustrated anybody ever been there god i've had enough i'm done i'm tired i don't even want to fight anymore here's the thing when you're feeling that way and if you've never been there, you will be there. But if you've ever been there, it is vital where you allow yourself to sit. That where you choose to sit is vital to whether or not you're going to survive that encounter or that season. And it says Elijah sat under the broom bush. It's also known as the juniper tree. Remember I, I told you, look for, if it gives you a location... I believe there's some significance there. It says a broom bush or juniper tree. Here's what you need to know about the broom bush or juniper tree. It only grows in dry places, in deserts, places where nothing else exists. 
Anybody think this is the best place for Elijah to be when he's going through this time and he's depressed in a place of desolation, a place of dryness? I don't think so. The second thing you need to know about the broom bush is this. It produces a very bitter root. You can eat it, but people don't eat it unless they have no more option. Can I tell you this? If you allow yourself to sit in a dry place for very long, you'll begin to eat of the bitter root. If you allow yourself to sit in unforgiveness for very long, you'll begin to eat of a bitter root. It matters where you sit. The third thing, though, that I think is very interesting to me about the broom bush, the juniper tree, is this. Their limbs or twigs were used to bind things up. I think it's more than just a coincidence that Elijah sat down under a broom bush in a very dry place where bitter roots are formed. And then he becomes bound by a suicidal spirit. See, this is not in your notes, but I think it's important you understand this. Elijah ran to a place he never should have been. He ate from a source that he never should have. And the result is he became bound to something that he never should have. That's where some of you are today. You ran to a place during that time that you never should have. And because of that, you begin to take in things that allow them to pollute your spirits, your mind, your emotions that you never should have. And now you become bound or on your way to becoming bound to something. I'm telling you, it's important and it matters where you sit. Let's go back to verse 2 of Matthew chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it sat up on it. Anybody notice the difference between Elijah and the angel? Elijah sat under it. The angel sat upon it. The word translated under means beneath. Duh, right? Right? Well, okay. But the word translated upon means more than, above, and beyond. Here's my point. The angel could have shown up Rode the stone away and just went back on to heaven. But he sat down on the tomb. And here's what I'm trying to get to some of you. What was meant for defeat became a seat. Come on, come on. What, what did the angel sit up on? He sat up on the very thing the enemy used to try to destroy and take Jesus out. He sat up on the very thing that was rolled in front of a tomb to kill Jesus. Let me ask you, what is the enemy trying to roll in front of you? What, what, what situation, what circumstance, what relation is he trying to roll in front of you to destroy you? What, let me say it like this. What is the broom bush or the juniper tree that he's trying to convince you to sit under? It's a dry place. Bitter root. And the thing is, you make the decision where you want to sit. You make that decision. Because you can't do both. You can either sit upon it or under it. You can either sit upon your circumstance, upon your situation, or you can sit under it. You make the choice. You can't do both. So where does your soul sit? 
Next, where do your emotions sit? Every person in this room has a part of your brain that decides where your emotions are going to sit. It decides that. Look what Philippians 4, 6 says. And we read this last week. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. I'm going to read that again. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. In other words, you decide where your emotions are going to sit. You decide what thoughts you're going to allow to control where you go, what you do. You decide those things. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul said this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Say those underlying words. We and make it obedient to Christ. He says, we take, we take hold of those thoughts. We take hold of those emotions. We tell them where they can and cannot sit. Well, Kelly, how do you do that? You train yourself. You discipline yourself. How? Here, let me show you. Anybody ever save somebody a seat? Come on. Anybody ever save somebody a seat? It's not a trick question. I don't personally enjoy it. I don't enjoy being that person that you're sitting there because somebody else is running late. And, they, oh, I got a great seat. Oh, no, no, no. Seat safe. I don't enjoy being that. So, so how, let, let me show you. Here's what I mean. Train and discipline yourself. Let's say I'm sitting here, and fear starts coming in. Fear, hey, 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 no, no, this, this seat is safe for peace. Get out of here. You're sitting there. Anxiety, depression starts coming in. And he's trying to take a seat, and you're just sitting there. And depression and anxiety better hurry up. And, and I, hey, 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 this, this seat's taken by joy. Joy sits in this seat, not you. Then maybe temptation, maybe addiction begins to try to come in and take a seat. Hey, 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 no, 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 no. Listen, listen, I'm so thankful you changed those shorts. <laughs> this, no. These seats are saved for self-control. Get out. You begin to discipline yourself. No, you can't have a seat in my emotions. Joy sits here. Self-control sits here. Peace sits here. And you begin to discipline yourself over and over with those things. Some of you, when you walk into a room, you don't have to worry about those things finding you and sitting beside you. You hunt them down and you go sit by them yourself. It matters where you sit. It matters where you sit. Some of you wonder why you spend days depressed, days dealing with addiction, days dealing with panic attacks because you've never said, hey, I need to change where I'm sitting. I need to change. I didn't say this first. Not only does it matter where you sit, it also matters who you sit with. Come on. Come on. The best thing I can tell you about this, 
when Jesus was born in a stable and the, and the angels announced to the shepherds, Christ has been born. Here's what they were saying to those shepherds and here's what they were saying to you and I. A seed has been saved for you. Man, I hope you're getting this. A seed has been saved. Listen, I, I've said I don't like saving seed for others, but I sure do like it when somebody saves me a seed. Come on, anybody relate? I, 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 I've been invited to events before and, and kind of taking my seat in the back because I've learned not to assume anything. And I'll take my seat in the back and just, and then somebody that's over the event. Well, no, hey, is that Kelly? And they'll come back, hey, hey, pick that Kelly. I've got you a seat up front. Come on, man. And they'll lead me up there, pass all of them, and sit me down. I do nothing to deserve the seed. I did nothing to earn the seed. All I did was this. I knew somebody who was in charge, who had authority to walk me past everybody else and sit me up here in a front row seat. And more importantly, they knew me and I knew them. You can do I'm telling you guys, where are you sitting? Here's the thing. You don't have, this is not a seat you can buy. And if you could buy it, you couldn't afford it. Because Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay. Are, are, are you hearing me? I mean, we don't, honestly, we don't belong in the good seats. Our sin, our failure, our brokenness, our unfaithfulness, our misguidings and giving. We don't belong in these seats. But Jesus said, no. You may not think you belong there, but I've saved a seat for you. Other people may have told you to stay in the back that you're not worthy of the good seats. But I've saved a seat for you. I've saved a seat for you. I love Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, but the message says it in such a powerful way. Some of you need to print this out and put it somewhere where you can read it. It says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Come on. Haven't we done that? We let the world tell us how to live, what the good life is, what dating should look like. Come on. Oh, come on. Are y'all with me 11 a.m.? This is usually the rowdy service. But we do. He says, you, you let them tell. They don't know the first thing about living. You let them tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We did it. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat or in the same seat. It's wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. And then I love the end. He took our sin-dead lives, made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and sat us down in the highest heavens beside Jesus the Messiah. In other words, yeah. In other words, 
He saw you when you were a loser. He saw you when you were jacked up. He saw you in your brokenness. He saw you in your addiction. He saw you in your... And he picked you up and said, this is not your seat. Let me show you to your seat. It matters where you sit. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. Happened to me once or twice, and I love it when it happens. But I've paid money to go to a concert or sporting event. I go in, sit down, sitting there and getting ready, and someone comes in. Sir, I think think you're in our seat. No, no, I've got my ticket. Well, check your ticket. Sure enough, I, I apologize. And I get up to go looking, where's my seat? And, oh, oh, I got better seats than what I thought I had. And I walk up and sit down. Here's what God is saying to some of you today. Check your ticket. Because you have been sitting in a seat that never was intended for you to sit in. Because someone told you that's where you belong. A failed marriage told you that's where you belong. An affair told you that's where you belong. Depression told you that's where you belong. A sin, an addiction said that's where you belong. And so you just settled into your seat. Listen to me. Check your ticket. Check your ticket because you're in the wrong place. Stand with me across this room. Check your ticket. 